Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin, and we had to come back to you guys after those NCAA men's semifinals results. And if you've been following along with us all week, you know we've been glued to this NCAA tournament. There's been so much good tennis from the get-go, so it's only natural that we have two great semifinal results to talk about now. Unfortunately, I had to head home, the real world was calling, and I had to get back for work, but we didn't want to leave you listeners high and dry, so we are recording a semifinal recap. Unfortunately, I was not at these matches, so to provide a bit more detail to give us you know, the inside scoop of what was going down on the grounds, you know I had to bring back my favorite new co-host. He's a Cracked Rackets writer, brother of a Duke tennis player, and really... Uh, a unsung college tennis guru in the tennis world, Matt Stachowiak. Matt, hey, great shot. Thanks, Alex. Uh, yeah, it was definitely an unbelievable uh, day of tennis once again. Sorry you had to miss it. I know you would have enjoyed it, but um, I, ha- I have it all covered. So it was uh, a great couple of matches. Let's get into it. I'm glad to hear you have it all covered. As having been there, you know, when all those matches are going on in singles, 12 matches at once, it's, you know, you're swiveling your head at all times. So good for you. We should also tell our listeners, obviously Matt and I are no longer in person, so he's coming in over the phone. If his audio quality is a little bit iffy, that is why. But, you know, we did some mic checks and he sounded pretty good to me. So I think this should end up just fine, but just a little disclaimer for our viewers but yes as you mentioned some incredible tennis so much to talk about you know one of the results was 4-3 and the other one was 4-1 but I'm going to go out on a limb and say the 4-1 result was more dramatic so that's the match I want to start with the one I'm talking about number three Ohio State upsets the number two seed UCLA takes them out 4-1 so to my point Matt do you think that was the more dramatic match well, I'll tell you one thing, Alex. It was definitely the more dramatic doubles point. Uh, doubles was probably, that was probably the single best doubles point that we had seen all week long. Uh, both teams came out and they were just, they were ready to go. You could tell they had high energy. Uh, they were playing well. So all three double scores between UCLA and Ohio State were, were just at the top of their games. And every single set was tight. Um Court one, uh, Marty Redlicky and his partner Evan Zhu were able to barely sneak out a 7-5 win over uh, J.J. Wolf and Martin Choice. So um, there were a couple of breaks in there, but overall, you know, it was close the whole way. The, the, the set never got any more than, you know, two games apart. So very close set there. And uh, same with the other courts two and three were as tight as could be. There was never more than a game separation there on those courts. And Ohio State ended up taking both in tiebreakers. So I really enjoyed watching that doubles point. I had picked UCLA to actually win that doubles point. So my prediction was wrong. I was slightly <laughs> disappointed by that. But, uh, of course, that's uh, half know, the joy of this tournament. Exactly. I just I wanted my predictions to be right, but I will say I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that doubles point. Definitely the best one that I saw uh, with my own eyes over the course of the entire event. Uh, so that was great. So a couple of questions I want to bring up off that doubles point, and I want to thank Bobby Knight of College Tennis Today, the original college tennis guru. No offense, Matt, because I'm using <laughs> yeah I'm using his recap to get a little bit of greater detail on what happened and. 
you know, reading through this, as you mentioned, all of these results really close. I said in our Sweet 16 recap that I thought Red Licky and Zoo were the most impressive doubles team I saw all week. So I really thought UCLA was a favorite in one doubles. You know, the match I thought UCLA really needed to take was two doubles because Mendez and Tubert, you know, both guys who aren't known for their singles acumen, but there's a reason they're in the lineup. They are such a solid three doubles team. They play fundamentally sound doubles. Both guys are rushing the net. Both guys are poaching. They're attacking. And so I thought Ohio State was going to be the favorite there. And I really thought it was going to come down to two doubles. And according to Bobby, Rapp and Smith, the UCLA doubles team, took a 4-1 lead over McNally and Torpegard, who, despite being the big names, I didn't think they were that great as a doubles pairing. But, you know, they're able to, uh, or sorry, in that match, they I think they, uh, yeah, yeah, they were able, it was a tiebreaker, as you mentioned. And so McNally and Torp are able to hang around. And then when you have, the, you know, in my opinion, the guy who's playing the best in this tournament, Mikhail Torpegard, in a tiebreaker, you're going to bet on him to win. So as you mentioned, Ohio State takes this doubles point. It really, you know, they seize the momentum. That has to hurt for UCLA. And, you know, you mentioned this, two tiebreakers go Ohio State's way to give them the point. What was the atmosphere like? Because I imagine they were playing them simultaneously. They were, and the, the crowd was huge. There were Ohio State fans. There were Bruins fans. Everybody was surrounding these courts to watch the matches. It was just an unbelievable atmosphere, um, as you know, Alex, since you were here. Um, but, yeah, really, when Ohio State won those couple of tiebreakers, you could just feel their energy and how they were feeding off that uh, specifically Torbegard and McNally after they won that court two match. They just, they were pumping their fists. They were screaming. They were yelling. They were getting their teammates hyped up. And uh, they really just wanted it bad. And, and that was a huge, huge momentum swing in that, in that match. Yeah, you can only imagine. I mean, I've seen these Buckeyes play, and they get very pumped. They're very much in that team unison. They have that collective spirit where they're, you know, screaming at one another, like, go box or all of these things. So they are certainly not a team you want to give momentum to. You know, jumping into that singles play, you mentioned Torpegard takes his first set. Uh, Wolf takes his first set. You have first sets from Selig, first sets from Joyce. So they get four on the board pretty early. But for our listeners who don't know, yesterday's weather was a shit show in Winston-Salem. You know, there's, I believe, two weather delays, each exceeding 30 minutes. Um, you know, you were at these matches, so I want to ask, one, what was it like sitting through those weather delays? And two, how, which of these teams, you know, what did they do to respond? And in your opinion, who responded to those delays better? Yeah, you know, really, when it comes to those delays, it's going to be, you know, who can just weather the storm a little bit more, um, you know, because the teams have to come back out and, and warm up again. Can I just say, weather the storm is a very good pun. Nice one. I know, and I knew you were going to say that. That's why I was just waiting for you to jump in <laughs> and, and say that, because I knew that was coming. Um, That's how you but, know we've been uh, doing these so often. I, I know, I know. But, uh yeah, Ohio State, you know, really, I think they just remained focused. Um, and a couple of the delays, you know, the Bruins were really trying to stay loose. You know, there was a video out there of Keegan Smith dancing around in the music. <laughs> and, you know, it looked like they were pretty loose as well, but Ohio State, I think, just had a little bit of a sharper focus. 
Uh, they kept their minds on the match rather than, you know, the music in the background or, you know, trying to show off their dance moves. And, you know, they were the more focused team. And uh, they definitely showed it. Uh, UCLA did get a quick point up on the board at number six. Connor Hans uh, did take care of Hunter Tubert at court six to put a quick point up there for UCLA after losing that tough doubles point. So I think that helped. And the Bruins were able to, you know, fight back and force third sets on. I think it was every other court. One through five, all were in third sets, I believe. Court six was the only straight sets uh, match. And so, you know, UCLA is obviously too good to just, you know, go down the tank. So they fought back well, but, you know, in the end, like I said, Ohio State just remained the more focused team. And it comes down to the little things. And they just, they played just a bit better. Well, you mentioned this match has five three-set matches. That is a testament to UCLA handling those weather delays well. They could have been down, in, you know, going into these weather delays. Oh, we lost four first sets. You know, this team's really good. It's going to be hard to come back. But instead, you see, you know, they have resolved. Uh, I think uh, it's Evan Zhu gets a split. Um, yes. You know, Logan Staggs gets a split. Cressy gets a split. And just like that, we're back in the match. You know, we've mentioned all week long Ohio State's sixth singles position is probably their single weakest flight as a team. So it didn't shock me to see Hans get the victory here, although Hans had been struggling this week. You know, he lost to Riley Smith. He was down to Davis Crocker. So he hasn't had the best results. So still really good for UCLA to get a quick match there, get back on the board. Uh, but then, you know, the rest of this way, it's just a backyard brawl. This is as good of tennis as you'll see. And the match I want to start with asking you about, you have two of the top guys. We've mentioned this all week long. Torpegard, Redlicky, Bourget, just kind of in a class amongst themselves. And man, in this match, Torpegard takes it. It says 3-6-6-3-6-4, although for some reason I, I just think Torpegard took the first set. Am I right or am I wrong? Uh, you are wrong. Uh, Redlicky actually did take the first set. Okay. Redlicky, so Redlicky took the what were you seeing? Talk me through that match. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, he came out, and really the difference in that first set was he was just more aggressive. You know, big lefty. He was hitting his spots with his serves. He was using the forehand. And Torpegaard, you know, while we all know that he has power, he was playing a little bit more, you know, of a counter-punching kind of style, trying to neutralize Red Licky's power a bit. And it wasn't working. Red Licky was just coming into the net. He was putting balls away, you know, with his volleys, overheads. So he was more aggressive, and it definitely won him that first set. Um, you know, there were this match was really, really great to watch. There were line calls all over the place, <laughs> complaining, hooks. I mean, you name it, man. And they were going at each other. So it was, it was awesome. It was a great environment. The chair umpire was having to calm everybody down. And, uh, yeah, you know, Torp is just too good of a player. You know, he doesn't fear getting down a set. So after Red Licky wins that set, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, this one's a long way from over. You know, Torpegaard's just too good to, to mail it in like that. So uh, he came back. He started to play a little bit more aggressive himself in order to, you know, not allow Martin to take the uh, offensive like that. So he switched his game plan around, and, and it worked. He got back into the match, and it, it really ended up being one of those classic, you know, tennis matches between two of, you know, probably two of the top five players in the country. Well, you talk about a contrast of styles. Torpegaard, a grinder, a guy so physically fit, he's going to move you side to side. He's going to stay in long points, make it a physical match. 
versus Red Licky, who's just hitting bombs any chance he gets. The second you leave a ball short, he's going after it. And, you know, looking through the progression of the score, Red Licky goes up a break 4-1 in the third. And if you're UCLA, you have to be thinking, okay, Martin's got his break. We can get this, you know, point. We can really, really take number one singles. And that would have shifted the whole dynamic of the match. Instead, in typical Torpegard fashion, he fights back. I believe he was down 1540 after getting the break on his own serving game. Ends up holding there for uh, for four all. You know, ends up getting the break to take uh, take out Martin. Uh, what was that rally like from Torpegard? Was he just playing phenomenal? And really, I, I want to say the difference was actually mental. You know, and I hate to I hate to say that Red Licky wasn't really mentally strong. You know, in that third set after being up four one, but it but it's the truth. I mean, Torpegard is is one of the strongest mental players that that we've seen in college tennis. And Red Licky let a few line calls frustrate him a little bit. You know, Torpegard got in his head, and, uh, you know, you could see that frustration from Martin. He, he thought he had it for sure, and I did as well. Up 4-1, you're thinking Martin Redlicky's going to close that door every single time. And a few things go, you know, the other way. Torpegard makes a few line calls that Redlicky doesn't care for, and you could just see the frustration build, and Torpegard just used that to his advantage and really just stuck in there, put every ball back in the court. You know how he does it, Alex. And and it just it slowly one game at a time, four one to four two, four two to four three, and then you knew you were like, Oh, okay, here we go. Torp's coming on. So you know, Red Licky did everything he needed to do to get up four one. He was playing beautifully hitting big, and then just a few little things, you know, go the other way, a line call, you know, somebody in the crowd that's pissing them off, whatever it might be, and, uh, you know, Torp just took that and ran with it, ended up getting the uh, the 6-4 victory in the third. And that's a huge victory, puts Ohio State up 2-1 at that time, I think Seelig and Staggs had just split, I think Joyce and Cressy had just, or, or they were maybe just starting their third sets, you had McNally fighting back and looking like he was going to take the second, while Evan Zhu was you know, starting to get a little ground on J.J. Wolf, and so that was a really big moment for Ohio State. You know, the next match to finish, Kyle Seelig, who's had an incredible week, takes out Logan Staggs, 6-3, 3-6, Staggs, a guy who has not had that great of the week, has really struggled, lost against Michigan, lost against USC. And then here, you know, for him to rally and take that second set against Seelig, so big for UCLA's momentum. And he actually went up a break 2-0 in the third. But you have to wonder, you know, for Staggs, how much of his energy did he use to have that comeback? And did those delays finally get to him? And for Seelig in the end, had a couple match points with Staggs serving at 5-2 in the third. But, you know, Staggs fights them off. But then Seelig holds comfortably for the 6-3 win in the third. Gives Ohio State that third point. Uh, You know, there's so much tennis, so I'm not sure if you got to watch this match too much. But if you did, what did you see? Absolutely, I did. You know, I couldn't miss this one. And I'll tell you what, Alex, it was it was really funny because these points were lasting longer than some games on the other courts. I mean, <laughs> uh, you're looking around, and Stags and Seelig had to have 50, 60 ball rallies. I mean, it seemed like every single point. I'd look over there, and they're playing a point, and then you know I'll glance over at another court to see what's going on. By the time I look back they're still playing the same point. So, 
these guys were absolutely grinding. They were laying it all out there. And yeah, big credit to Staggs. Like you said, Alex, he hasn't had the best week here. Um, you know, as, as one of the elder guys on their team, I think he really probably wanted to show up and, and play his best tennis here. But, you know, he drops that first set to Selig, and Selig's playing great, not missing. And Staggs fights back and, and takes that second set. So I was, I was pleased to see that. Um, and, you know, in the third, again, it was just a battle of <laughs> who's who's not going to miss. I mean, these points were lasting so, so long. And so, you know, in the end, Kyle got him, and uh, it, it was definitely an incredible match. Completely different style from the Red Licky match. You know, he's hitting bombs. These guys are just spinning serves in and just making shot after shot after shot. So two contrasting styles there, but still very fun to watch. Probably the best part of this match is how many different styles of games were available to be seen. You have Torpegard and Red Licky, who are just the best. So you get that, you get Zoo and Wolf. Wolf's going to smack his forehand around the court. Zoo's going to track all of them down. Smith and McNally, two more big bombers. Selig, Staggs, Grinders. And then the last match I want to talk about in this one, and you know this is the court it came down to, two serve and volleyers, which you never see anymore at five singles. Ohio State's Martin Joyce takes out UCLA's Maxime Cressy, who was one of my favorite performers from this weekend. He takes him out 6-2, uh, You know, again, this is a match where Cressy's able to fight back, and Joyce goes up a break in the third. Cressy ends up getting it back, serving for or, and holding for four all. You know, and then Joyce holds for 5-4, and it comes down to that last Cressy game. He's down 1-3, you know, all the crowd, eyes glued on that court, and Joyce was just able to get the break in the end. You know, what? talk me through what you saw. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this was another match of two players with similar styles. Like you said, they both hit bombs for serves. They come into the net. They're always looking to be aggressive. And really in the first set, it was interesting because Joyce really kind of had his way. Won that set 6-2. Cressy looked... I don't want to say he looked a little bit nervous or anything like that, but you could just tell that he didn't really have his game. And after they lost that doubles point, I just, I don't think he had enough time to really recover and find his game in singles. So Joyce jumped on him early, was hitting big like he always does. Big serves, big forehands coming into the net. Cressy was just knocked back on his heels. But then, you know, again, similar to his buddy Staggs, he, he fights back. He's able to find his game a little bit more. And, you know, that's why these guys were ranked number two in the country and they were the number two seed in this event because they're just they're that good. They're not going to go down without a fight. And so Cressy, again, started making more first serves, started finding his ground strokes a little bit more when he needed them. And uh, he, he played a great second set. And like you said in the third, it was just it was pretty tight the whole way. And, uh, you know, Joyce ended up getting the better of him in the end. But fantastic match and and Joyce was uh he was able to play the hero there for the Buckeyes you know according to Bobby Knight Ohio State has won 34 of 36 doubles points this year so UCLA had to be prepared for that coming in but between the weather delays between losing all of those first sets you know it just seems like they didn't have enough energy at first maybe whether it's you know the grandeur of playing in a semifinals and you start to get a little bit tight or you know these, this Ohio State team has battled so many times they made the ITA indoor finals last year were in the semifinals last year against Virginia and had to deal with weather delays as well it's an experienced team and just in the end that little bit of 
extra preparation, that little bit of extra experience Ohio State had seems like it was enough. And when you're playing a team that good, you just cannot afford to go down that big that quickly. And unfortunately, just UCLA dug themselves a bit too much of a hole. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I completely agree. I thought for sure that they needed that doubles point. Um, and, and they came out and, you know, it's not like they gave it to them. Again, remember, two of these doubles courts were 7-6. They were as tight as could be. And, you know, Ohio State just had a little bit more there. And so they definitely deserved it. Um, you know, UCLA fought hard. But, you know, in the end, looking back on it now, I picked UCLA. But, you know, the Buckeyes really played well and, and were definitely deserving of, uh, you know, taking that match and playing in the final today. Look, they certainly played outstanding tennis. And, you know, it's almost like Cleveland Golden State. It feels like it was inevitable this year. We were going to have a Wake Forest Ohio State finals just on paper. Two of the most talented teams you'll see, you know, in college tennis history. It's going to be an incredible final. But before we preview that, let's talk about Wake's semifinal. They end up taking out Texas A&M in what I think is one of the least dramatic 4-3 semifinals I've seen in a while. Uh, you talk about jumping on people, and Wake Forest really jumped out to a huge lead in, against Texas A&M. Cruise in the doubles point, get a 6-3 win from Petros and Barr at two doubles over Contanzariti and Rinderneck. And I mentioned that first because, obviously, the Texas A&M coach saw something in Contanzariti and pulled him from singles in favor of Barnaby Smith. And then the match I want to ask you about, because I am shocked, after Aguilar and Arcanada take out Perez and Inglidson, a fellow top five team in doubles, they dropped an egg today, losing to Gojo and Mansuri of Wake Forest 6-0. Uh, what happened in this doubles point? Was it the crowd? Was it the heavy legs for A&M? Just what was it? You know, I'll tell you what, Alex. This was the best match that I've seen Borna Gojo and Skander Mansuri play all year long, and I've watched them play a lot. I live around here, so I see these guys often, and they just came out with so much energy. They were bigger, obviously, than Aguilar and Arcanada. You know, those guys are a little bit smaller, and they really just imposed themselves. I mean, they came out, they were hitting bombs for serves. They were attacking the net, and it's not like Aguilar and Arcanada played all that bad. I mean, they definitely didn't bring their best. That's, that's for sure, 100%, but... A lot of that credit has to go to the weight guys because they just played so well and they were stronger and they, they played well in all facets, serving, returning, net play, ground strokes. They just had the edge and, you know, they put up a bagel there. And obviously that was surprising to us because we know how good Aguilar and Arcanada can be, but definitely not, not yesterday. It was not their day. Well, it's interesting to see if, Borna and Skander can play like this today, and we're, we should tell our fans we're recording this Tuesday before the NCAA final. But, you know, that's a position where Ohio State is vulnerable. I think I've seen Wolf and uh, Joyce lose every one of their one-double sets this week, so Wake can certainly get that. You know, as you mentioned, thinking about this match, I wasn't there, but I have to imagine Gojo and Mansuri, both at least 6-2, Arcanada and Aguilar, both under 6 feet. You know, the wingspans of the Wake Forest team, they take the net away from those guys. And if those guys are forced to play back and not able to poach as often, it was going to be really hard for them. So, yeah, Wake Forest came out rocking. Um, you know, I made a point there, and I am just curious because I want to hear your answer. How was the crowd? Was it a rocking Wake Forest, like big, big Wake Forest partisan crowd? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the stands were packed. 
know everybody was there from the first point in doubles. They were ready for it. Um, you know, obviously in the semis of NCAAs, everyone knew how big the stakes were. So, yeah, 100%, Alex. The fans showed up, and they were loud. They were cheering, and it was it was an unbelievable environment. Yeah, 100%. no, I can only imagine. And then you look at these singles matches, you know, the first two matches off the court, you have Borna at one over Kipson and Petros at two over Rinderneck. Both of those Wake Forest players get 6-2, 6-1 wins. You know, I'm not sure if, if those matches ended before the weather delay. I can't imagine they did. But, you know, for Wake Forest to go up 3-0 so quickly, what happened from the A&M guys? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Alex, and, and it, it was a little disappointing for me because we know how good Patrick Gibson and Arthur Rinderneck are. I mean, those are arguably two of the top ten players in college tennis right there. So, um, obviously, we know Borna Gojo and Petros are also two of the best, but I was definitely expecting those matches to be tighter than 6-2, 6-1. But to be completely honest, those A&M guys just didn't have the heart and really the fight that you would expect out of, you know, an NCAA semifinal match. I mean, of course the crowd was on Wake's side, but really, I mean, Gojo and Petros were playing the way that they always do, and just A&M didn't offer much resistance, which was a little disappointing to me. You know, when things started to go Wake's way after those first sets, 6-2, you know, I was thinking, okay, these guys are too good. They're going to come back. They're going to put up a fight here. And really, neither one of them did. They just kind of shrunk and, you know, they didn't offer any resistance. And so it was really, it was too easy, to be honest, for Petros and Gojo. They didn't have to work all that hard. And so for them, they're probably looking at, at that going, man, those, that's probably one of the easiest 6 2 six, one matches I've had all year. And, you know, against high, high caliber players. So... You know, credit to Wake, but again, I do have to say here that it was it was disappointing in uh, in A and M there for sure. Those guys, they're better than that. I want to say for Rinderneck, as we mentioned, he did clinch that match against Florida the day before, and you could see even during those match, his legs were heavy. Uh, and so you can only imagine, you know, Petros is not the guy you want to play when you're a little bit tired. So you can understand Petros getting a win there. And when we were projecting, we did think Wake Forest was a lock at two singles. Uh, but, it, but if A&M wanted to win this match, they either had to get doubles or they really needed Kipson up top. And so, you know, a two-in-one performance is just devastating. It's not what you, you can't have that from your number one singles player. And, you know, we've talked about these rumors, but, you know, people are saying Kipson's going pro after this. But even if he's not, you know, with Arcanada being a senior, with Rinderneck being a senior, this was really a unique cha- opportunity. And, you know, I don't like to say the word unique because it's not one of a kind. Of course, AM can make a run next year, but for AM to get to this spot, a position they haven't been in a number of years this was their chance and just when you have your you know you go down 3-0 so quickly digging such a big hole against a team who's only lost twice all year and on top of that that same team's the number one overall seed and playing at home in the NCAA semifinals just such a big gap what happened for Texas A&M which is a credit to Steve Denton and all of these guys who are still out there is they got back in the weather uh, in the locker room after these weather delays they said guys we have two options here we can either let them roll us over and speaking of which you know Wake Forest I believe took four first sets so it's we either get rolled over or we put up and we we start fighting and to A&M's credit they did you have 
Arcanada take coming back after dropping the first set, taking out Skanderman Suri, 4-6-6-2-7-5. Vachero and Aguilar both get straight set wins for Vachero in particular to come back after that disappointing loss against Florida. So big for this A&M team. Uh, I want to ask you, when, you know, when the weather delay was over and play resumed, did A&M go on a roll? Was it noticeable? Was it something about their energy when they stepped back on court? Yeah, they definitely did. I think it was after the second rain delay. So we had a couple of delays, but this was after the second one. And you could tell that those guys did come out, Jordi Arganada especially. I want to point him out because he came out. He had lost his first set to Skander, and he came out with a whole new energy. He was getting fired up. He was pumping his fist. He was getting his teammates involved. He was playing better. And so I, I really want to commend both him and Aguilar for their singles performances after dropping that bagel and doubles. Sir, I, I agree, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's a really good point I wanted to make as well. For them to lose a set 6-0 as being the number three team in doubles and then to come back and both get wins in singles, that is the exact type of effort you need if you're going to make a final. And so you're you're absolutely right. A huge credit to those two guys for you know putting their foot in the mud and saying, all right, this is where we make our stand. That's right. It was a great thing to see, you know, because they could have easily folded and said, wow, we didn't even get a game in doubles, but they came back. They both played well in singles. So like you said, that is, that's the ticket. You know, how do you respond to adversity in matches like this? And they definitely stepped up. And same thing with Bachero. You know, he came off a tough loss, like you said, to Florida, and he took Barbotzer out at number four. And, and we obviously know how good Boxer is. So he really played one hell of a match there. I think it was 6-3, 6-2, or 2-3, and three, something like that, but very convincing in straight sets. So, you know, he rebounded in a big way as well. And, you know, at that point, you look up and it's 3-all, and it all comes down to court six. And it's interesting because, like you mentioned earlier, Alex, Barnaby Smith was the guy for A&M. Coach Denton made that, that change, and, you know, I'm not 100% sure why. Um, in the beginning of doubles, A.J. Katanzari was actually playing very well. Him and Rindernet got up to a three-love lead in doubles on court two, and I thought A.J. was actually playing very, very well. Obviously, they did end up dropping that set, and so their level dropped a little bit, but... You know, Barnaby Smith was the guy, and, you know, he did well against Seraphim, but, you know, we kind of knew, and we had said this, um, you know, the other day as well, that, you know, Wake is going to have a, a pretty decided advantage at number six. And so I thought Barnaby Smith did very well just to split sets there with Seraphim, and he was able to, you know, force the third set, but, you know, in the third, every single eye in the building was on that court. And so he's a freshman. Seraphim's older. He's played under this kind of pressure before. Smith has not. And, you know, you could just tell it was it was not going to go A&M's way at that point. And it was another bagel. Six love in the third for Seraphim. But, you know, credit to Barnaby. He tried, but you know, we, we kind of, everybody in the in the place knew that this was probably going to be Wake's match. Well, this episode will either be titled Another Bagel or Weather the Storm. So uh, I will have to figure <laughs> that out at the end. We'll have a nice little debate. But yeah, as you mentioned, you know, talking about the calculus from this match, 
we knew we knew AM would have a chance at three and five, just given the way Arcanada and Aguilar was playing. But you're looking for those, you know, other points, and they got one at four. So they got their three singles wins. But just, you know, to expect them to get four singles wins against a team of Wake Forest caliber, as you mentioned, you have a fifth year senior in Seraphim playing a freshman in Smith as the deciding match. That's exactly the situation you want set up if you're the Wake Forest team. And credit to them for coming through. Obviously, you know, they struggled a little bit in singles. They didn't handle the weather delays as much as as well as they would have liked. And in the post-match conference, uh, Tony Braski actually did say, uh, you know, for tomorrow, if there are any weather delays, he's going to try and handle things a little bit differently. But that gets us to our final. It's the final we've been waiting for all year long. It's Wake Forest, Ohio State. These are, on paper, the two best teams in the country. You know, both of them have had so much success this year. Wake Forest coming into this match at 30-2. and two. The Buckeyes coming in 34-2. and two. You know, these are the two best teams. And looking at this match, you know, what are your first thoughts? What are What's the calculus for each team? Uh, who are the performers you're looking for? What are the matchups you're looking forward to? Let's break it all down now. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think this match has the potential to be a really, really fantastic match. Now, I hope it is. That's what I'm. That's what I'm rooting for. But you know, it's possible. I, I just have a feeling. I mean, we're in the finals now. Wake has waited all year long for this. I mean, this has been a long time coming for these guys. And so now that they're here, you know, they're they're definitely going to be ready to go. I don't see any kind of you know slow start for them or anything. So in the doubles. I just have a feeling Wake is going to find a way to get that doubles point. I don't think it'll be easy. Like you mentioned earlier with Ohio State, they can win a lot of doubles points. They know how to do it. However, this entire event that I've been here, Wake has looked phenomenal phenomenal in doubles. I mean, like we said, when you've got a Gojo and a Mansouri at number one, you've got a doubles guru like Ian Dempster paired with a Christian Seraphim at number three. And then, of course, Petros and Barbots are in there as well. I just I think that Wake is going to find a way to win the doubles point. So I do think they're going to take a 1-0 lead into this match. And singles, singles can be great. I am specifically looking probably at court one, obviously. I think Torpegard probably can get a win there. It's no guarantee, but if I had to bet on it, I'm going to favor Torpegard in that match. Um, Core 2, I think, is definitely going to go Wake Forest's way. Petros, again, we're talking about one of the very top players in college tennis, if not the best. Um, and, you know, J.J. Wolf has been struggling so far this, this tournament. So I really think it's it's going to be uh, Petros' match to take there at number two. Uh, number three, we're talking Skander and John McNally. I think that has the potential to be a great match. I'm going to be focusing in a lot on that court, actually, because I think that one could go either way. It's a toss-up for me. I favor Skander, you know, on his home courts. He's the bigger player. He's got the bigger game. But John McNally, he, he finds a way, and he played Keegan Smith yesterday. So I think he's, he's going to know what Skander brings by playing Keegan. Keegan and Skander have similar games. You know, they both pop in huge serves. They both can rip forehands. So McNally has kind of seen 
the game already, and I think he's going to be up to the task at least to put up a great fight. I think that one definitely will probably go three sets. Um, court four, Botzer against Selig. I, I think Botzer is going to have a bounce-back day today, Alex. You know, he had a tough one against Bachero. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed, you know, being at this tournament is that these guys, you know, they take a loss, and they, they're they so mentally strong that they find a way to bounce back. And I just think Botzer, he's been too good of a player all year long, you know, and Selig has been playing some great tennis. So that could be a great match. But I'm looking for Botzer to have an advantage there, and I think he'll take that court. On court five is actually where I think Ohio State can have a pretty decided advantage. If Coach Bresky leaves his lineup the same, which I guess for the purposes of this conversation, we'll assume that Alan Gottlieb is going to play court five again. I think Martin Joyce is going to be able to take him out. Uh, Joyce has been playing fairly well um and you know they have similar games again they both serve big they like to attack but the difference in this one is i think joyce has a little bit more consistency off of his ground strokes than um Gadget does so i i'm looking for joyce to probably close that one out in straight sets it might go three but you know either way i'm looking for ohio state to put a point up on court five and then court six you mentioned earlier, Alex, how that is really the one spot of Ohio State's lineup that is, you know, if you're going to consider it a weakness, I, I don't want to call it a weakness, but it is an area that is uh, vulnerable. So I am looking for Christian Seraphim to win his match against Hunter Tubert um, at court six, probably in straight sets. I don't think that one's going to go three. So, you know, when we break that all down and think about it, I am looking for probably a 4-2 win for Wake Forest. Again, I've said this a lot recently, but I picked them. I picked them all year to win the, you know, win the title. They're at home. This is their year to do it. They didn't come all this way to lose. So I think it's going to be a good match. I'm going 4-2 Wake with wins in doubles, with Petros at two, with Botzer at four, and Seraphim at six. That's their four points. And for Ohio State, I'm going to say Torpegard wins at number one, and Joyce wins at number five. And I think the Skander uh, John McNally match at number three will be unfinished. And I think it'll be probably pretty deep in a third set uh, as this match uh, ends. So, a ton of comments to say off of that. Number one, I want to thank Bobby Knight for all of these stats about I'm about to list, but just a couple of fun facts for our listeners at home. Coming into this match, here's some of the winning streaks these players have. Petros has won 23 straight matches. Botzer, 16 of 17. Mansuri, 11 of 12. Gojo, 9. Wolf, 15 of 17. McNally, 9 in a row and 16 of 17. Selig, 10 straight. Joyce, 17 of 19. You know, Torpegard's still the guy. And so, I didn't mention his name there, but you got to imagine he's bringing his A effort in this match, considering it is his absolute match on the job. And, you know, if there's any way Mikhail Torpegard's going to end his career, it's with a win in the national championship. Uh, you look at the doubles between these two teams, it's, you know, Wake Forest 25-7. and seven. I think I said earlier Ohio State's 34-2. and two. I think they're actually 31-5 and five in doubles points. Uh, like you mentioned, I think Wake Forest has a decided advantage at one doubles. I think Gojo Mansuri are playing their best now. You know, Dempster, Seraphim, Tubert Mendez is going to be an absolute battle. And if Ohio State wants to take the doubles point, I think they need that match. 
And then you look at two doubles. The team of Torpin McNally have won 15 of their last 18. You know, they're coming off of a tie-break win in the semifinals. They're 15-2 and two on the year versus Free Sokos and Botzer, who are 19-4. and four. Uh, This match is going to have some thin margins, and there's going to be a lot of calls, you know, a lot of deuce points that are probably going to end up deciding this match. And if you're a college tennis fan, that's what you want to see. You know, I don't want to give my prediction on the doubles point yet until I break down the singles match so I know exactly where I am going into it. But the winner of the doubles point will certainly have a decided advantage going into singles. Um, and then you look at these matchups in singles. I agree with you. I think Torp's got to be the guy at one. He's 25-6 and six on the year. Gojo may be 15-2, but I will not bet against Mikhail Torpegard until he graduates. This guy beat Red Lakey last night after going down 4-1 in the third. He beats Nuno Bourget the round before. Sure, his legs could be hurting, but if anyone's ready for this moment, it's Torp. So I agree. I'm going to take him at one. Same thing as you said, Frisoko said too. Wolf hasn't gotten a win yet this week, so it's just a. It, if you are betting against Frisokos again, you're making a mistake. Uh, I agree. I think Joyce is the prohibitive favorite at five, and I think Seraphim as well, prohibitive at six. And so you look at it, that's, you know, each team has two singles matches where they really should take care of business. And then it comes down to the meat and potatoes of the lineup, the three and four singles positions. And, you know, Seelig's a guy who's been on fired this week. I think he's 3-0. and You know, he takes out, um, who was, who'd they play in the, he takes out the Mississippi State player in straight sets in the quarterfinals. He wins yesterday against UCLA. This is a guy who's been playing outstanding tennis, and if Ohio State wants to win, they need another big Kyle Seelig performance in this one. You know, I really liked your, your point about McNally and Mansuri. Mansuri, a big server, just like Keegan Smith. McNally's ready for this moment. He seems to be embracing playing on these big stages. So to me, it comes down to whoever can take doubles points and three and four singles positions because I think the other four will likely go one way or another. Like you, I don't expect Bresky to change the bottom of the lineup. I think Seraphim is a big favorite at six, although I'll say Tubert, being a doubles player, getting the opportunity to see Seraphim serve in the doubles before they play singles, he could get a read on that. And, you know, if you can re- get a read on a big man serve, it becomes much easier to break him. So Tubert, doubles specialist, he has the returns to, you know, play aggressively against Seraphim. If, if Ohio State can take six, they're likely going to be winning this match. So that's another one to watch. But yeah, as you mentioned, the margins in this, just so thin. It's so difficult to make a pick. This is the match college tennis fans wanted to see all year long, and I believe the last time these two teams played was the ITA semifinals last year where uh, Torbergard knocked off Free Soko 7-6 in the third to give Ohio State a 4-3 victory. You know, these teams so close in level. I'm going to give the edge... Oh, see, Wake Forest is at home, but Ty Tucker's my guy. That's my favorite coach in all of college tennis. I just, you know, I, I was taking video of him this weekend because I think his mannerisms are so funny. Uh, he will have his team amped up and ready to go, and Ohio State will not be intimidated by this crowd. Oh, I want to take the Buckeyes so badly. It's going to be a 4-3 decision either way. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it just to be different than you. Give me the Buckeyes 4-3. They're going to take doubles, Torpegard, Seelig, and Joyce. And I say Seelig's the one who clinches over Botzer to give them the win. Wow. Well, I like it, Alex. I do. You're going out on a limb there. Well, and, uh, I'm just thinking we'll... th- this way one of us is right. Well, that's true. That's true. 
Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. We only have a couple of, couple of hours to go, so uh, definitely looking forward to it. Like you said, I think regardless, it's going to be a close, uh, you know, a fairly close, um, great match. You know, either way, and I'm just, you know. At this point, I can't, I can't go back on, on Wake Forest now. It's just I've been on that train too long this year. So I'm sticking with the Deeks. They're at home. I think they're going to get it done, but I'm hoping for a great one. I have also been on the Wake Forest bandwagon, but I don't know. Something about this Buckeyes team, man, they're really special. You know, second national championship uh, final in program history. I, I think this is the team. I'm taking the best player in Mikhail Torpegard, I'm going to say he's going to have an incredible performance at two doubles over the best team, which is probably Wake Forest. And, yeah, I'm just going to ride with that. Okay, one more quick thing before we go, because, as you mentioned, uh, the finals is just upon us, so we want our fans to be ready and able to enjoy that. But, you know, I can't let you leave without doing one last thing, and that's our favorite segment of the show, our changeover chat. So, as always, I'll cue the drum roll. And it's time for this week's Changeover chat. The changeover chat. How does it sound over the phone? Not bad? Not bad at all, man. <laughs> I appreciate it, but okay. We're just going to do two quick questions on this. And my first question to you is best individual match to watch in this final in both singles and doubles? Where will you be? So just to your point, Mendes and Tubert, 22-4 and four on the year, but I think a couple of those losses came at the one and two doubles positions. So as you mentioned, they are stalwarts. Uh, Dempster, Seraphim, that is, I think that's the match it comes down to, and so I agree with you in that terms. I think two doubles will be fun as well because Torbegard and Free Sokos will be across from each other, and that's probably number one and number two in terms of guys who have been playing well this year, you know, the best tennis this year, outside of Blumberg, who I'm just not going to include because he's not in this match. Uh, you stole my answer of the three singles position because I agree with you. That could be the match it comes down on, uh, or comes down to, I should say. You know, I'm going to go with the seniors here. If you haven't had a chance to see Torpegard, if you haven't had a chance to see Mansouri, if you haven't had a chance to see Seraphim or Joyce, go watch them now because these guys are some of college tennis's finest players. And, you know, you're not going to get many more opportunities to watch these guys play. You know, if a lot of, there's a high chance that if they're not, you know, they're a foreign-born player, there's really no incentive for them to play the individuals, so they might pull out. So just make sure you get a chance to watch these guys play one more time. Uh, again, all of these matches are good, so no matter which court you're on, you're going to get some good tennis. Um, and then my last thing for you, 
if each team wins, who's the MVP of the tournament? Who wins the NCAA Most Outstanding Player? Okay, great question, Alex. Uh, for me, this is actually relatively easy. I mean, I don't even need to think about this at all. For Wake Forest, it has to be Petros Christikos. I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. He's hardly dropped any. I mean, he did drop a set uh, the other day when they played, um, who was it, in the quarterfinals? Uh, <laughs> Illinois. Alex Brown did take a take an early set off of him, but he's just been so solid. The guy has won every single match that he's played, uh, singles and doubles, I think. He's just been, he's the rock, and I think Wake knows that, you know, he's going to provide a point for their team pretty much every, every match they play. So, if Wake wins, my MVP would be Petros, and if Ohio State wins, I think you have to go Torpegark. I mean, the guy's been playing phenomenal tennis all week long. He's their senior. He's their number one player. He's one of the top top players in college tennis. He leads that team. I mean, that team goes as Torpegard goes. So, um, you know, for me, two pretty easy choices. Petros, if Wake wins. Torp, if Ohio State wins. I agree with you on the Ohio State selection. Torpegard has been the number one option for them now for the past three years. As you mentioned, when he's firing, it's really tough to beat the Buckeyes. Uh, and you can't imagine a scenario where they win the title with him losing at one single. So I agree. It's all, uh, you know, Torpegard's the guy for Ohio State. If I was Wake Forest and they win, depending on how this match goes, I might have to give it to Seraphim. Seraphim's clinched the last two victories for the team. Sure, he lost at five singles in round one, but he's been so solid for them at three doubles. Uh, again, in a scenario where Wake Forest wins, you have to imagine he gets a win to, uh, in today's match as well as maybe a win in doubles. He has just been so good for them to come back from injury this late in the season, play the bottom of the singles lineup despite being you know, a redshirt senior, the oldest guy on the team. and He's just taken it all in stride. So if they win, it will be because they had the senior leadership this year in Seraphim and Mansouri that carried them through. And so Seraphim would probably be my guy there. But, okay, it's been one hell of an NCAA team tournament. Obviously, the individuals start tomorrow, and we do want to talk about that. We do want to preview the draws and all of that. But before that, let's enjoy this team final, Matt. It has been a great week. This is the matchup everyone wanted. We're finally getting it. Uh, one of these programs is walking away with the first national title in program history. This is what college tennis is about. And so, you know, I want to thank you for providing the coverage. If you haven't, go check out Matt's daily recaps of all of the play on our website, crackedrackets.com. He's been busting his ass to get all of those in in a matter, you know, in a timely fashion. And, you know, we really appreciate all the work you've done, Matt. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on this podcast all week long. Not a problem at all, Alex. I love it. Um, it was a pleasure meeting you out here, and uh, we're going to be doing this for a long time. Absolutely, and I know our guy Parsa has finally made his uh, debut out there, so make sure you're hanging out with him. You know, If you can, snap a photo of him, because I think everyone in the world wants to know, who is Parsa? <laughs> yeah, I, that one, I, I don't know about that one, man. You may <laughs> kill me if I actually do that, but um, I will definitely be spending some time with Parsa. He's a great guy. He's so got that'll... He's got tighter press than the Queen of England. You learn less about Parson than you would about the royal family. That's right. It's unbelievable. But, okay, one last time for um, our team at Cracked Rackets, for everyone in Winston-Salem who's been so accommodating, so kind. You know, the live stream's working so well, so it's been easy to watch these matches. For our super producers, Daniel Westoff and Max Fliegner, who, as always, have a heck of a job editing, although, you know, 
this will be another unedited podcast, but still, there are guys behind the scenes. We want to thank them, as always. For Matt Stachowiak, who has been the most reliable co-host a guy could count on for this week, I'm Alex Gruskin, and we say to you, Matt, give it to me one more time. Hey, great shot. And we want you all enjoy this final. Thank us. Thanks, everyone.